Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Podcast Network, SoCal Sweat. My name is Ann McDaniels, a former NFL cheerleader and product manager turned actress and model who dreams of being a UFC fighter. Yow. Learning strategies to help motivate others leads me to bring you interviews each week from a range of athletes, experts in fitness and nutrition, and so much more. Thanks for listening to Believe, the number one podcast for working professionals. And let's push our endorphins to higher performance through SoCal Sweat. This is your host, Ann McDaniels, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of SoCal Sweat. Today's episode is going to be focusing on mental health, particularly in overcoming emotional and psychological trauma. During the pandemic, people have really suffered more than ever before, and I wanted to bring in someone to to discuss another way of healing. When bad things happen, it can take a while to get over the pain and feel safe again. But with self-help strategies and support, you can speed up your recovery. Now today's guest is Nicole Gebhardt. Nicole works tirelessly in helping others. She owns the company Spiritual Lighthouse Healing, and she considers herself a beacon of light for others, hence Lighthouse. She's the founder and CEO of this company and is passionate about sharing her story of survival and hope gleaned from a tumultuous grief and pain-filled past. As a former victim, Nicole is now truly a survivor, having worked her way through molestation, rape, alcohol and drug addiction, marital abuse, divorce, and loss of a child. As a warrior of and for all women, she brings beautiful, angelic healing, enlightenment, and guidance through her one-on-one counseling, Reiki support groups, speaking engagements, retreats, and social media platforms. She's considered a gifted healer and a beloved friend to those in need. She uses her business to weave together her life experiences and knowledge to uplift and help women, men, and children, especially military spouses, to not only change lives but save lives. Nicole further assures these women they are not alone and they are good enough to be loved for exactly what they are. She gently and lovingly directs them to shed past or current resentments, disappointments, fears, and mistrusts. She assists them through the grieving process to discover and relish in their their own special talents and wake up every day in love and bliss. Nicole is here for you and sees you. So when you are ready to reach out to her, she will guide you and lead you to that pure joy, happiness, and love that you deserve. I'm particularly impressed with her because she is a military spouse, and she has brought her trauma to life and has helped other people in the military overcome PTSD and other traumas that happen among the military. I I really commend her for bringing her passion and helping others to everybody, devoid of judgment. And I can't wait to introduce to you Nicole Gebhardt of Spiritual Lighthouse Healing. And you are a spiritual lighthouse guidance leader. You've gone through so much trauma, so many trials and tribulations, and you are here today to help others. Can we go into your background and your childhood? Can you describe? Sure. Um, I guess my story kind of starts, you know, back as a child, life was really hard. Um, My parents were very, very um, 
to get love and acceptance from them, I had to be perfect. Perfect grades, perfect friends, perfect looks, everything. And it just started off really tough there. I was growing up in Germantown, Tennessee, which is a suburb of Memphis. So my senior year of high school, I just wanted to go far away. I wanted to go far, far away. And I ended up at Florida State University in Tallahassee. And um, not a single person from my high school went there. They all kind of stayed at University of Memphis, University of Tennessee. And I was just on my own. And it was just a beautiful time. I was like becoming the woman I wanted to be. And it was, it was amazing. And then um, a few months into school, my freshman year, I was raped. I had gone to a fraternity party with several of my sorority sisters, and um, we all were drinking. And then I was gang later that night. And so from then on, everything just went completely different for me. I was falling apart. I tried to commit suicide. Um, I didn't want to continue school there. I became really an alcoholic, just trying to drink away the pain, just to tr not even remember the rape that had happened. I ended up leaving. I don't think I've even shared this before, but I ended up leaving Florida State and to go to a school closer to home so I could get the support from my parents as well as I needed to see doctors to get what was going on with me. Um, and so I ended up at Mississippi State for a few years transferred back to Florida State, finished up, and then life kind of went good from there. You know, I, I went on and I became um, a certified child life specialist. I worked in hospitals with children that had cancer, and I, I just really enjoyed my life and my jobs. I met who I thought was the love of my life. I got pregnant, and um, I ended up losing him. I walked in on him in his nursery when he was nine weeks old, and he had already died in his crib, and then again, I was shaken to my core. I didn't know how was I ever going to survive this? Why in the world did God take my child from me? I didn't know, like, what had I done so wrong that you have to deal with? So I don't really have any enemies, but if I did, you would not wish this on your worst enemy to lose a child. And so um, I just, I remained in bed. I started drinking day, night, everything. Like I, you know, my husband started abusing me. Um, I went on to accept the Lord is my savior. And he went on to drugs and the abuse just got really, really bad from there on out. Um, about four months into it, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, Lillian Grace, who's my rainbow baby. And then life changed. Life got beautiful again. I had this gorgeous daughter. Um, I was so happy. And it was so much that like the abuse was still going on because he had just like, he had lost it. But I, I didn't care because I had the child that I had always dreamed to have. And so life went on. Um, I ended up having another child, a son, and then got pregnant with um, my fourth, which was Harper. And I walked in on my husband at the time and he was doing cocaine on the vanity in the bathroom while my daughter was in the tub. And I said, mm -mm, I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this anymore. Get the hell out of my house. And so I you know, filed for divorce. We were divorced. And that's when life really got beautiful because even though I was seven months pregnant, I had two toddlers, I truly found the love of my life. And it's funny because I share this because I said, he can't be in the military. I'm not strong enough. I can't do it. He needs to live in Destin, Florida, because that's where I was at the time, close to my parents. And um, he did, I didn't want him to have one or, more than one or two children because I had three of my own. Lo and behold, my husband lived in Savannah, Georgia with the 165th Airlift Wing. He's been in the military 24 years, and he had three children. But I always say, when you know, you know. We went out um, that New Year's Eve. We were engaged that February and married by that June and blended a family of eight. And then the rest was kind of just history. It just went, life went on and oh it was beautiful. Gosh. And um, he started deploying and I thought I could hold my own. I thought it was strong enough. And that's when I kind of dove back into the alcohol and life just was hard. It was hard. I was raising all these children on my own and he was away. He was, if he wasn't deployed, he was, you know, traveling somewhere else with the military. And so we um, ended up moving to 
DC where we were stationed at the Pentagon. And then last year on um, October 15th, miscarriage and, and mis sorry, infant loss and miscarriage awareness day, I fell down two flights of stairs. I was so drunk. My husband found me at the bottom. I was barely breathing. I wasn't responding. He thought I was dead. Um, all my kids were home. They were upstairs. 911 came, they got me to the hospital. Even the doctor said, she's not gonna make it. We don't know what, what's gonna happen. And I spent a week in ICU and praise God, I made it. I lived and that day forward, I said, life has got to change. I've got to start putting myself first and I've got to become the woman that I want to be. I haven't had a sip of alcohol since, 17 and a half months sober. I became this strong woman and went out to Sedona, Arizona to just truly find myself and discover who I was and to let all this baggage go that had just weighed me down ever since my childhood, whether it was, you know, the rape or losing my son, the miscarriages, whatever it was. And since then I went on to open my business and now I get to be that voice for women to show them that you can work through anything and that you're not alone and that you are enough. And I just love being able to use my story to help others. So that's where I am today. And I just feel so blessed and people think I'm crazy, but I truly feel like I lost my son and I experienced all those things so I could be a voice for other women. And that's who I've become and I wouldn't change it. Can we just backtrack a bit? Absolutely. Um, when we go back to your college years and, and you said you were gang raped. So there were multiple men on yes. you. How did your, and then you talked to your parents and did you talk to your sorority? No, at the time you. I did not. I did not share it with my sorority because I couldn't believe it happened to me. And honestly, I held blame for over a decade thinking it was my fault because we had all been drinking. Um, it wasn't, obviously it wasn't my fault, but that's what I thought in my little 18 year old head. It was all my fault. I taught, It's also in the media. Sometimes correct. that happens I mean, where it was, she, yeah. they wore a short skirt. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we were, we were in the little, little clothes, you know, just little teenage clothes. And we all were in college sororities, yeah. in college, you know, you did, you did nothing And wrong. I told my mom and she just, she, I guess she was just in so much shock because we haven't really talked about it again because I kind of pushed it way down. And honestly, I didn't bring it back up until I started doing Reiki energy healing and the Reiki actually brought up the emotions of it. And I was finally able to work through it sober. So I kind of went through all the motions, but no one believed me. And so that's when I stopped sharing stories. And I haven't even talked about this. There was another time in my life I was raped after it. And I didn't even tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone because I became that, that I got labeled at this name. It was Tennessee tease because I wouldn't hook up with anyone. I came in as a virgin. My virgin virginity was stolen from me and I became Tennessee please. I was, they nicknamed me after they raped me. You know, it's just this unbelievable thing. So no, I never, I didn't talk about it. I didn't share about it. Don't you love the assumptions? I mean, you're trying so hard to just be you. Right. And then you're, that happened and they're already making fun of you and calling you the opposite. Right. So you, I can under, understand why you wouldn't say anything. So all of this stuff was stifled, all of it's stifled. Mm -hmm. And as I've learned as well, if you don't take care of these things, they manifest in other ways. So that manifested in your alcoholism. Right. And that was really hard. So did you try to talk to your parents at the time? And were they really kind of Southern religious? Yes, yes, and, yes. I, you oh. know, I grew up in the Bible Belt in Tennessee, and they were very religious. You know, we're in church every Sunday, Wednesday, all that stuff. And they just could And it was like, you don't talk about your stories. Like, even growing up, it was hard. Like, my dad was an alcoholic, too. So when he was a pilot. So when he wasn't flying and working, he was drinking. And, it, you know, he put his hands on my mom. We'd spend numerous nights in hotel rooms. And we weren't allowed to say anything. They were very much like, don't tell our story. You know, and I kind of say, you never know what's going on behind closed doors. Doors. That's what makes me look at people so differently now because that's how I was. Nobody knew that. I just, yeah. I wanted to kill myself. I was so miserable. 
You know, you just never know what's going home behind closed doors. And you were so used to being strong that people thought, oh, this facade of this perfect girl, she's like a robot. Mm -hmm. But I mean, and just like you said, you know, nothing's perfect. I look at the glass house at the top of the hill with that wife. I'm like, I know what you're paying for. I know what that Prada purse and that Maserati is. Right, and it really bothers me because social media is so bad at that. Like Facebook, Instagram, whatever you want to say, people put on this facade of this perfection, the meal they ate, you know, they take a picture of it, the date they were on, you know, this and that. That's a damn lie. Cause I tell people there's no such thing as perfection. And if people are doing that, they're struggling somewhere else. They're struggling somewhere else. Absolutely. Even the couples that are so happy, they put just, they, they, they profess their love every single day with the, they're probably the, the most unhappy couples. Yeah. yeah. We really have to watch the social media. So, um, what was your, can I ask what your drink of choice was? What kind of, what were you drinking? Golly. So in college, it was a lot of beer. So I put on that freshman 15 because it was just constantly beer. And then as I got older, it became um, wine. Like everybody, all the military spouses, I'm a military spouse. Everybody was drinking wine. You know, we do all that together. And then the worst was when I was in DC, I would just take shots of vodka during the day. Just take shots while he was away. You know, I didn't have to drive anywhere. I didn't have to pick up the kids. I was just take a couple shots and then I could go on. But I felt like I had to have alcohol to live. Like I thought I, it wasn't just masking. So I thought the pain and the struggles that I had experienced in my life, the rape, losing Samuel, but it was like, I, I like even, you know, I did a post today on Facebook. I wanted to drink this morning. People don't understand that it, alcoholism is so tough. It is so tough on your mind, your heart, your spirit. You really have to work to stay sober. And so I just went for a walk on the beach and I said, you know, enough is enough. I'm not going to let you pull me down, but it's tough. It is really a tough thing. It's one of the toughest. Had you ever attended AA? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I thought, because I was a military spouse, we moved every 18 months. I kept our family together. I thought I was strong enough that I could get through it. And what changed my life is when I fell down those stairs, my kids saw me, thought I was dead. My husband saw me, thought I was dead. No more. I'm not going to let it pull me down anymore. And that on, I never had to go to AA. I didn't. I know a lot of people. However, I joined a ton of support groups and I try to tell women the biggest thing is to have support. People want to support you. There are so many of us that want to help other people, but you have to ask for it because if you don't, we don't know you need it. And you have to want it. I feel like there are so many repeat customers that always go and tell their stories. Um, I've, I've gone to a, a, I've gone to Al-Anon and things like mm-hmm. that to support. And my father's is, um, is sober now and he's my best mm-hmm. friend. So I, I understand exactly what you're saying. And it's very, very difficult. But I'm very impressed that you were able to keep up that facade and sort of turn it around yourself, regardless of the little support groups, because you didn't go to a treatment center or anything like that. You just, you also thought about other people. You thought about your children yes. and your husband. It was huge. That's what kept me alive, was thinking about my children need me. They need a mother. And it sounds like your husband was really supportive. Um, I love the movie when a man loves a woman. Have you seen yeah. that with Meg Ryan yeah. and Richard Garcia? Is it Richard? Uh, I can't remember who it was, Richard but Grant. such a, yes, such a beautiful movie. I picture your situation to be kind of similar to that, that he was so in love with you. And, yeah. and so you. that's when you made that comment, you know, these couples act like they're so happy and they're not actually we are. And I will share that a lot of it comes from our previous marriage. We were both divorced. Um, his wife treated him horribly. And so did my ex-husband. And the moment we got together, we said, honesty is going to be our policy, no matter what we're going to be honest. And sometimes we're so honest, it hurts each other, but I've been so hurt by dishonesty in my life. It's worth it. It is worth that. And we have really come from a place of really being hurt in previous marriages to loving each other, being each other's best friends. Jeff like told me like when he, my husband, when he saw me, he, he lost it. He didn't know like, how was he going to 
go on to the next day. What was he going to do? I was his best friend. And that's, that was another, he shared it that Thanksgiving after it happened that October with all six kids sitting at the table. And he just said, I, I thought, I thought your mother was gone. And in that moment, again, I was like, I can do this. He needs me. They need me. I am strong enough to do this. You're very, very strong. And how did you deal with the kids seeing that? Because that's very tough. I just was honest with them. I just talked about it. And I just, I feel like so people, so many people hide the truth from their kids, no matter what it's about. But I wanted them to see mommy had a problem. Mommy has, and it runs in your family. My dad was an alcoholic. My grandfather was an alcoholic. So most likely out of my children, somebody's going to have it. And I want them to be able to come to me and see that they, they don't have to struggle with that alone. That's wonderful. And studies have shown, I believe that, um, a lot of fathers, it's passed on to their daughters. So my sister and I really have to watch that as well. And again, when you come from college and things like that, and you, you can put them down like no tomorrow, right. you see that, that, it, that it is a problem and that it's a coping mechanism. I think, mine, I think people don't understand that some alcoholics, mine wasn't like I wanted a drink every day. Mine was when I had a drink, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. Sure. Sure. Did you pick up kids from school and, and had you been like a high, but you seemed very high functioning. It was, and it, there are such real things as a functioning alcoholic. You would have never known it. You would have never known it. My kids yeah. didn't know it. Nobody knew it. I was so good at hiding it. And that is scary. That is so scary that you, I could go on and do everything and nobody even know that that's why I've been I'd taken shots because I was so miserable, so miserable. And then no one ever smelled it, a teacher, a coach or anything like nothing, that. Nothing. Unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's, it's called high function alcoholic. And there are a lot. I have a, a brilliant prosecutor, Beverly Hills, friend of mine, who's, he goes into court drunk every day. Nobody knows, mm -hmm. but it, it is a sad life. And I really commend you for turning that around. Um, how do you, even today, you know, just with your rape situation, even today, do you think things have come along well in society as far as if a girl is raped or gang raped and the way that we're treating her and the way that there is blame? Do you think things have progressed or not? And how would you deal with I that? Know. You, you know, um, probably in some places, in some situations, it's gotten better. You know, we were at a restaurant the other night and I walked in the bathroom and it said, if you're having a problem with a man, you know, woman, it was in the women's bathroom. So it said a man come to the bar and say this word. And if you need this to call the police, say this word. And, and that was beautiful thing. I took a picture. I showed my children, my daughters, you know, I showed my husband, you know, I wish that was everywhere. It's not hard to have a little code word. So when you come to the bar, Hey, you know, I'm not okay. Um, but I don't know. And especially I'm going to be honest, being military, you don't really share a lot because you're so judged because it affects your husband's career. And if he's going to move up, if he's going to rank up and what his next job is going to be. And that's where I want to share with military spouses that I I've been one and I'm sharing my story. They're not kicking us out. I'm sharing it, you know, and I want military spouses to see that we all go through, we go through everything, what everybody else does, except for even more. So we don't share much. Right. Right. It's it, it. Did your husband ever say at one point, Nicole, hold, hold off. I, I need you. Very? I need you to keep this under wraps. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. He said, you know, you're especially talking about the rape. Yeah. Like, are you really going to put that out there? And I realized, and I told him, I had a heart to heart. I said, if I'm not writing these stories, I'm not going to heal. Because when I write my stories on whatever platform, my blogs, my website, whatever it is, it is healing my book. It heals me because I'm getting the story out. And lo and behold, as soon as I started being honest and sharing all those things, women were coming. You're helping me. You're helping me. You know, and, and that is what, that's what it's there for, you know? But yeah. Did you notice Anybody in your military community um, of women that came forth or were they very secretive about it? Sharing their like your close circle. They shared. 
they shared. They and it's, it, that's a blessing, but it's a curse in the sense that you would not believe how many women have been raped or molested. It would make you vomit. It's just, it's so rampant. It happens all the time. Yeah, very much so. And did you ever go to counseling? Did, was Were you ever in the psychotherapist or any, no, or EMDR. I or was in counseling. Like I had to go to counseling. I was seeing someone at some point every single week. You know, I was talking to another military spouse this morning. She was looking for a doctor for her um, child. And I even went to the, what, the psychiatrist when I moved here, as we move into a new town, you start over eight, every 18 months. It's hard. It's really hard. And for the first time after probably seeing psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist for a decade, he diagnosed, diagnosed me with PTSD. And I said, how have I never been diagnosed with this? Of course I have PTSD. And I think people just think it's men or they just think it's because when you're the military person, no, everybody can have PTSD. And I learned that anxiety, depression, insomnia, which what I was suffering from are parts of PTSD, are symptoms of PTSD. So yes, that's, it's a huge thing. Um, yeah, I've seen doctors. I need, I need to talk. I'm just, and I try to share people just because I've worked through it. You, know, you don't ever get over it, but work through it it's not, life is not just rainbows and butterflies now. It's still work. Every single day is still work. Absolutely. And somebody put it to me one time as if in a, with a computer, if a virus gets put into a computer that you can work, we can work around this virus by putting in McAfee software and helping it. But that virus is always in there and that computer still can still work, mm -hmm. but you don't remove the virus. Sure. And so you have to work around it. And um, I commend you for all that. Were you ever were you ever medicated on any kind of Prozac or? Yeah, or I, I was for a little bit. And I, you know, I'm a firm believer. If that's what you need, that's what you need. I don't judge anyone. It's, it's, if that's what you feel like you need, you need it. But thankfully when I started doing Reiki energy healing, I was able to come off all of my anxiety, depression, and um, insomnia medication. Okay. Um, how do you, and, and just your everyday, everyday stresses now, how do you get through that and how do you cope and how do you, I guess this is a double part question. When your kids, have you seen any, anything in your kids like PTSD, even from seeing their mother fall down the stairs, especially if one of the children were quite small or had any kind of emotional issues? So let me start with, yes, coping is huge. Coping is huge. You know, I now drink Shirley Temples and that's what makes me happy. My kids know if I'm on my third Shirley Temple, leave mommy alone. She needs a break. Another. How many maraschino cherries do you put in there? <laughs> a ton, a ton of cherries. I love cherries. <laughs> <laughs> and then bubble bath. I, I, you know, I, I take a bath. That's what helps me. Another thing that heals me is I go, and since we are at the beach right now, I'm able to walk across the street and watch the sunset each night and get grounded. That's my grounding time. I think the biggest thing, like I shared earlier, is I finally was putting myself first. I was getting the help I needed. I was asking for help. I was getting the support. I was, you know, looking for it. Um, but my kids, yeah, of course I worry about them. I worry about them anyway. After losing a child and then multiple miscarriages on top of that, I'm already a, a worry wart over my children. And then thinking about the other stuff they have to go to it through as a military family and then seeing their mom intoxicated and falling down the stairs and all these different, you know, things that were happening. I just, I, I keep it, the conversation open. I want them to know they can always come to me and I'm going to be an open book to them with them. That's wonderful. And since you've blended the family, that can be all that, that already adds another stress layer to that. On top of the fact that you said that your husband, your husband's ex was quite judgmental and, and nasty. Mm -hmm. How have you been able to deal with perhaps the relationship with her? Because um, of she course, is extremely painful to us. She says really nasty things on social media to people and the words get back to us. It's just kind of a small world, you know, and um, she just, she's really tried to come between me and my marriage with Jeff. 
And um, honestly, all I can do is kill her with kindness. I'm just as nice as I can be because I'm not going to let anyone pull me down. I've been through enough. And if you've got problems, that's not my fault anymore. You know, I just, I can't stand when, and it's just a jealousy, you know, it, it's a jealousy thing that we do have a great marriage. We own several homes. We are happily married, but we work for it. You know, it's not just given to you. You absolutely work for marriage. Absolutely. And you've certainly worked for it. And I commend you also just the words killing with kindness, because if she's putting it on social media, she's very public about it. The kids see it. That to me is, again, I'm not going to judge anybody, but I can't imagine doing that. It's, Number one, putting that dirty laundry out there. And then especially with kids mm -hmm. and braiding you when you're such a beautiful person. <laughs> but you know what? You're winning. Killing with kindness and a happy marriage. <laughs> so um, have you had any issues with your children or with emotional issues? And how do you deal with that? As far as what, what kind of? If, if they were to come to you, would, again, you've been so open. And I guess my question is, um, there are so many kids suffering right now because of you know, coming out of the pandemic and they're now forced to go to school and look at, I feel like mental health that used to be such a stigma. And although I believe it still is, it's really getting better. And I think that your, your voice and your honesty and you're putting things out there and getting rid of that robotic facade, which is very hard because we all do it. Some people, some people put everything out there and victimize themselves over and over again versus you who put it out there, but you got the help. And now you're helping others. So that to me is the best case scenario. Um, how do you, like, how do you, how would you counsel kids in school that are going through trauma and all these things? So I have all of my children evaluated um, every time we move just to, because I know that's already tough. I know that they're both come from families of divorce, which is tough as well. The military life is tough when your daddy just has to go away and you don't know when he's returning. That's tough. Um, and then for them on top of them to see, you know, what their, what their parents are going through individually together. Um, I just want them to talk about things at school. I want them to have people at school to go to. I want them to be able to come to me. A huge thing I tell my children, we just gotta get out of the house. You've got to get out of the house. I'm a firm believer that you do not need to be on electronics all the time. Enjoy the sunshine, enjoy being outside. And that helps my kids tremendously when they have the, you know, the vitamin D from the sun and just being happy. I'm like one of those moms where I want all the kids at our house. So I got a basketball goal outside. I just want everybody around me, you know? And that seems to be, if I'm putting off happiness and joy, so are they. Sure. You know, Nicole, it's, it's interesting because sometimes they feel like women who go through trauma or anybody who does seems to have, like what you said, you love to be surrounded by people and isolation. Would you, do you, would you feel that you would, could be triggered while in isolation with any of the past? Yeah. And I think that's why I'm such an outgoing social person now It's because I became an introvert. I became like laying in my bed when I could, you know, as soon as the kids were off to school or before I had children, I was always in the bed, you know, and I became like, I don't want to be around anyone. Like my blinds are all closed. You know, I had camera and then you get so much in your head. I had cameras and on the front and the back door, like who's coming to the house. Like, do I have to answer the door? I wasn't picking up my phone, all this crazy stuff. And when I, that pulled me down and I will say that when even a couple of days ago, my husband called me out. If he sees that I'm doing that, like spending too much time in the house, he'll say, you've got to get out. You've got to get outside because that is a trigger for me. And so I know that's a trigger for a lot of people. When you start spending too much time inside, the moment you go to a grocery store and it's full of people, you're going to freak out and have an anxiety attack. And that's not good. You know, I, no. I want them to know that you need to slowly be coming out and getting help and going outside. The like even I'll drive around in my car and just listen to music, you know? Sure. Absolutely. And this pandemic has really stirred a lot of that. I have several friends that I call on a weekly basis because I work in entertainment 
And that seems to really drive a lot of um, the addictions towards that, you know, our business, well, every business, but even more so this. And, you know, I, I tell them to get out. What can I bring you? What can I just get in the sunshine? Just like what you said, be grounded, forest walking, just put your feet on the ground, not your, not your bed and not your, not your place. Um, well, that's wonderful. And when you work with women or do you work with men as well or just women? Okay. And do you work with children as well? Yes. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, do any of the stories that they tell trigger you in any way? And if, if so, how are you able to sort of battle that? The biggest one for me is suicide. I did a live, um, a few weeks ago on my Facebook page about suicide, where I just really shared my story and, you know, I committed, I tried to commit suicide three different times. And I woke up the next morning to so many texts, emails, messages of women that had recently tried to commit suicide, had thought about committing suicide, and it was bad. It triggered me so bad that I had to get a chaplain to get help. Like I, it, it was so much like how many, there's so many people struggling, especially since the pandemic, so many people are struggling and I'm also an empath. So I could feel all of it. It was just, it pulled me down. It affected my marriage. It affected my children. It was a tough couple of weeks. I had to get help. I had to talk to someone. I had to get back seeing a doctor for a couple of weeks or a therapist. And um, it, I realized then that I have to throw up a couple of boundaries. I have to put, you know, my phone on silent these certain times. I, I no longer share my personal cell phone number. I have a work cell phone number. I share a different email address, you know, because that it was just too much for me. And I, I, the last thing I wanted to, it was because I'm helping someone else that I was falling, that I was drinking again, that I was trying to commit, you know, all of that stuff. So yeah, it does happen. But I think if women can create those boundaries that then they're going to be in a safe place. Absolutely. But it, you, you have to, even as a counselor, seek another counselor. Mm -hmm. And because you have to get rid of this as well. Otherwise, you can't be clear for other people or for yourself. So I'm glad that you've discovered ways for you to, to, to clear, clear that. Um, when you, how about any kids? Like, so are some of the kids, you know, that they're being abused and they're telling you? I've not heard any of those stories. Parents, those would have to be reported, obviously. But no, I've not heard anything sure. like that. Usually when I'm meeting with children, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what Reiki is. I'm doing healing with them on that. I don't therapy children because... I feel like it'd just be a little too much for me. Like I said, I did work at a children's hospital and work with oncology children and it pulled me down oh. so much because it made, I was constantly having to go to funerals because the kids were dying and it just was just too much with, I had my own children. Um, so really if I'm working with children, I'm just putting my hands on them. I'm not doing therapy. Well, plus you had a death of a child, right. which is just excruciating right. in itself. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with Reiki, but can you please tell the audience and describe what that is. It's spelled R-E-I-K-I. Right. And it, please tell it, us how it what is. What it is, is we're all, we all have this energy in our body. And if you become a Reiki master, you get aligned to be able to do certain things with certain people. And what you do is you lay your hands on them and you're spoken to their higher source, whether it's the universe, the Lord, whoever they, you know, speak to. And I'm able to heal my clients. I've never had an unsuccessful one. I've helped with anxiety, PTSD, depression, weight loss, headaches, back pain, you name it. And it's just this beautiful thing for me to be able to bring people back to life to not for them to be able to sleep again, for them not to constantly be anxious. And it doesn't happen one time. It's several, you know, it's like, it's like if you're going into the doctor or going to get a massage or something, you're going to go in a few times and then you'll start seeing yourself healing to heal. And then you'll continue on with the appointments, but it's just a beautiful way to be able to um, not have to load up on medication, not have to constantly talk to a therapist to kind of get immediate help. And it works. It's worked for me. That's amazing. Um, since this is a fitness and, and wellness, fitness and health podcast as well, 
how do you how do you do how do you deal with a client that is maybe 300 pounds and needs to lose 150 to get like a certain surgery or something like that how do you do the reiki with that that's i mean it's just all psychological but then how do they deal with the addiction of going back to the kitchen or fast food joints well i mean obviously i can't i'm i'm not a I can't heal that in that way. Like I can't guarantee they're going to do it. It also is a mind. Right. Everything really is a mindset. If you believe you can do it, you can do it. I lost 58 pounds. I was weighing 175 and lost 58 pounds within about six months because I finally said, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to keep drinking. I want to be pretty. I want to feel like myself. I want to be happy. And so I started working out every single day. I started eating right. I started, you know, going towards vegetables instead of candy and it changed my life. I lost significant weight. And so that's the first thing I would tell people, if you want to lose weight, you have to believe you can go to the vegetables and get your butt to work. Cause it's not going to happen with any of these magic pills. Everybody's trying to sell them. It will not happen that way. Amazing. How much weight did you lose again? pounds. Oh my gosh. Good for you. Because that was going to be one of my questions because a lot of times alcoholics go to another, another addiction once they're, once they're sober Mm -hmm. and usually it's food or like marijuana, what, what have you. So that I, but you, you, you kicked your own booty (laughs) back to work and ate those vegetables. Yeah. What what is your favorite vegetable that you, Oh my gosh. I I don't know. I love it all. Whether it's celery or Brussels sprouts. I know it's funny. It's the stuff I would never would eat as a kid, but now I love it. Your taste buds change when you get older and it's just, they very much do. And you appreciate healthy food because you want to feel good. Um, during that time, what did you, what did you indulge in? Was there like a fast food place on the, on the, on the base or during that weight loss time or before? Before it was my pregnancies. Like during my pregnancy, I'd eat all the crap that I could see, all the sugar, everything. And since I had four children, I just kept gaining weight, gaining weight, gaining weight. And then on top of it, alcohol has got so much like the sugars and the sugar. wine. Oh my gosh. So it just kept putting on, putting on, putting on. But then you see some alcoholics that are absolutely emaciated, which basically means they don't eat at yeah. all. They just drink. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that in itself, I mean, you have so many buckets of like overcoming these, Thank these, you tragic things. And I just, I commend you for being so incredibly strong. And sometimes I wonder if it's actually a blessing that some of us grow up in, in households where you have to have that robotic facade, because I think it gives you a certain amount of grit Mm -hmm. and pride that you have to get back to Mm -hmm. that. Or some people go the other way and they never recover. Mm -hmm. Um, do you, has your husband though, I have to ask, has your husband received any aftermath or like, you know, kind of being made fun of in the military because his wife has spoken out like anything like you need, you need to keep your wife quiet from other men or something. The exact opposite. The exact opposite. Oh my gosh. Yes. They are so proud of me. They're asking me to do speak to all these different military groups. They're asking me to, you know, get a book out, uh, you know, a handbook on how, how I did this as a military spouse. It has been beautiful. Our friendships have exploded and a lot of career opportunities have opened up, not just because of me, but that they're always looking at the spouse. What are they doing too? And they see that we're committed to a good marriage and we're committed to a good life. And they appreciate because a lot of spouses, military spouses don't talk about it. They appreciate that I'm open about it, that I am an open book. And, you know, I went and got my nose pierced. I got three more tattoos. I I turned my hair, you know, red, purple. I'm going to be me. And I told Jeff, if you need to retire from the military, if they're going to judge us, then we're done. We're done. You've been in 24 years. We put in our time and lo and behold, it was the complete opposite. It's beautiful to be able to get asked to speak at all these things now and share my story just because I was an honest military spouse, you know, my stomach hurts. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for just everything you've overcome and the fact that you weren't judged because I, in my mind, I imagine a completely different scenario mm-hmm. and that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I really commend the military. First of all, I have so much respect for your husband and 
what you guys are doing for the country. But again, if they are happy at home, they're going to serve the country better. It behooves the military to do that. I can't imagine that you would have been embraced this beautifully 20 years ago. And I really, and it's fantastic because they kind of have to now. I mean, even corporate America has kind of has to step up. If somebody's going through some mental health issue, they better not judge them or fire them because it's a big lawsuit. So yeah. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. You. So, How can people get a hold of I How can people get a hold of you? Because I'm sure it's all Zoom right now, correct? As far as what I'm doing, my um, healing and can stuff. You do the, can you do the Reiki? Yeah, over, I do. Or, I over. do a lot of distant Reiki because of um, the virus and all that stuff. I do a lot of in-person since we are, we do live close to the military. We're at Tyndall Air Force Base. We're actually with the first Air Force here. I have a lot of military spouses that come into my home and um, the rest of them I do virtually. I do them through the computer. I can do FaceTime, Messenger, whatever you're easiest. Uh, a lot of people can book going through spirituallighthousehealing.com. That's my website. But I, you know, I'm just, I just want to help everyone. I want to heal everyone. If I could, and I could just throw up my hands, I would just heal everybody. But I want people to know that I'm out there. I want to support them. And there's just, there's numerous ways I can do that. You're so enthusiastic and beautiful about <laughs> it. I mean, there's just, it, you're so genuine. That's amazing. Um, how it's gotta be difficult though, because in Reiki, you have to make it's, it's a human touch, but I'm sure with your, with your teachings and just with you're taught, you're taught I'm, how to virtual Reiki. Yeah. You're taught how to do all that. So, and also a lot of people in person, they don't do touch. They just put their hands all over the body. And so that's, that's why you're able to do that virtually as well. And it works in the pandemic anyway, because you can't touch them. So, (laughs) and plus you're, you're such an empath that you feel, I I can imagine you feel everything through the screen. Are you, um, are you a medium as well? Could, can you feel? I I don't practice. I don't do any of that, but I can, my intuition tells me I can see angels around your head right now. I can. Yeah. I, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's encouraging. Uh, I can see auras and it's really neat. Like I learned a lot of that doing Reiki, becoming a Reiki. I'm a Holy Fire 3 Karuna 2 Reiki master. There's only 200 of us in the world. So I went to the highest thing because it really changed my life. And now I'm able to see different stuff and it's really amazing. It's really neat. That's incredible. I mean, but that's a kind of a blessing and a curse when you well, can yeah. have that much. That's where you have to, and you, you know, you just have to set up those boundaries and just not, you know, focus on that. I choose, and, I choose the goodness. I choose the joy. I choose the happiness instead of the negativity. Very good. Cause even people in life that, that have that gift, like my sister does, she feels everybody. Like if she watches a commercial with a dog on it, you know, being abused, that takes her through the whole day. Isn't that crazy? Can't... I do the same thing. We, for the longest time, we didn't even have a dog and even just seeing that or somebody's having a baby. I'm long done. I, I, I've had a lot of kids. I'm done, but I can feel all of that. Like I can, yes, I can look at people and I can feel their emotions, their feelings. And that's why I think I'm so good at Reiki because I immediately know what they need. And so I'm able to heal them that way, whether it's, you know, whatever it is depression, anxiety, whatever they're feeling. Um, but in fact, sure. yeah, it's tough, but it's, I don't know. I love it. I love being able to help that way. You and I are kind of like strong women. So it's like, you know, I'm sure people have said, Nicole. Oh gosh, yes, I've heard that. Especially from the husband. I can't believe you said that. <laughs> but you know what? Wouldn't he rather have an exciting redhead with, with a snakeskin outfit than some boring? <laughs> he does. No. It's so, that gives me chills. It's so funny. He calls me weird all the time. My kids do too. And I say, thank you. I told you before, I want to be weird. I want to be different. Thank you. I, I love being weird because I'm so happy. I'm just being me. I'm not being weird. Fake. I'm unique. not putting a facade up. I'm being me. And that's what makes me happy. Weird is fabulous. Correct? I think so. Boring is just anybody can be 
an accountant and boring. No, no offense to accountants <laughs> out there, but you know, but yeah, the redhead and the snakeskin and the, and the pierce, I, I think it's wonderful. Um, a couple, just a couple more questions. What has been your favorite um, treat food or treat or, or indulgence during COVID? And because of this isolation, has it ever driven you to want to drink during this time? So when you said um, that you usually, like if you're not drinking it's something else, it, it did. Mine became shopping. I became obsessed with shopping for a long time. Bad enough where my husband's like too much, don't order anything off Amazon online. And it wasn't because of COVID. It's because that's where I went to. Instead of drinking, I found something else. And then it was like, um, I need to try every single M&M that was ever made. It's those kind of things that your head gets like, I need to do this. I need to do that. And it made me feel like, okay, I need, you know, when I started Reiki, like, I need to find the best crystal and you know it just became that mission and it keeps me sober so I'll take it you know but that is something I too would like to work on and find like something else however some of the things are you know like I said taking a bath or drinking a Shirley Temple there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that and if I want to try any any M&M I'd rather be doing that than taking shots of vodka absolutely (laughs) but even like my, my father said you know people like us especially coming from alcoholics um you have to stay busy and we call it the great white shark syndrome because when a great white shark stops swimming it's and it dies so and it's like we have to be the idle mind is the devil's playground so and it is bad and that happened a lot during the pandemic with um and like i myself broke my shattered my leg and my arm last year then so i was on my back during covid by myself and i'm like it was so many mind games and i'm an athlete and if i can't work out hard I go crazy because that's my coping mechanism. Yeah. It has been the toughest year of my life because of this. But isn't that the worst thing too? Like we are our hardest critics. We, I yeah. constantly, and people don't believe me. I constantly get in my head and think I'm not enough. And this is what my business is. This is what I do for people. You know, it is. We can be our hardest critics. You get in your head, and then the start you start thinking the negative, and it just goes, 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 goes. Yeah. And I can imagine during the pandemic for me too. If you're just stuck, like you can't think, but just just go, 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 go. You know. I could barely huh. even move. Yeah, and I would tell you, exactly. but it sucked not being able to work out too because that's where I burn off energy, you know, whatever I need. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm. It's 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 still killing me, and there's certain things that I can and cannot do. Like, and I I love to box, but this left arm when I box, and then I can't even type. Like, it's just like, okay, where where's the payoff point going to be? And lifting weights, I love lifting I weights. Do. I can barely yeah. lift even a quarter of what Put I Put it out in the universe that it's gonna it's gonna get better, and then it'll get. Better. It has to. It has to because I still can't even walk upstairs, and I'm a runner. So it's just it's got it's and a dancer. It's got to get better. But you know what? Everything that you're talking about, this mental health and just staying focused and staying strong, is very important. But like you said, having a community and having support and being around people that you love. Well, I really commend you. Thank I you. think you've done a fabulous job for women, for, for everybody. So thank you so much for coming on today. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you so much. And that was the beautiful Nicole Gebhardt of her company, Spiritual Lighthouse Healing. She has a true passion for helping women, men, and children. You can find all of her links in the podcast notes and I encourage anybody to seek help if you're dealing with any emotional or mental trauma at all because people are there to support you and care about you very much. We appreciate you for listening, and please subscribe and rate this show on iTunes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Luminary, TunedIn, or at Believe.com. You can reach out to me for any questions or topics you'd like covered on the show at Ann McDaniels or at Ann McDaniels Actress. And I'll see you next time on So...
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.